All right. Oh, gosh. It's early. It's early this morning. Hey, everyone. I hope that all is well. I hope that God's promises are yes and amen in your life. And I hope that you are drinking water. That's very important. It's very important that you're drinking water. Now, it's early in the morning. I'm not going to say what time of day it is. I'm not going to give the hour because you will be asking yourself, why, why are you awake? Why are you doing things at this hour? You sound tired. I am tired. Uh, so this season at Abeg, things are going to be uh, slightly different. Um, you've probably heard our first guest episode at this point. But Dee and I, we're still going to be recording, um, as you've seen by the previous episodes. But at times, you will be hearing episodes with a guest We'll be introducing you to some of our, you know, our big family, our big supporters. <laughs> Ugh, it's too early in the morning for this. Um, but at times you will just hear me and this is one of those episodes. So you're just, just, you know, get into the groove of just hearing my voice because it's just going to be you and I for quite a while. Um, and the reason why I woke up so early to do this episode is because I think that I'm someone who weirdly does my best thinking at, in the morning. I'm the kind of person that I'll, let me just go to sleep. Let me just go to sleep early and think things through again at 4.30 a.m. Like that's really, that's the kind of energy I'd be on. I, funny enough, I, I prefer to actually just sleep. Um, some people ask, oh, are you a morning person? Are you an evening person? I like sleep. I really do. But if I have to be, um, up and doing things, I would prefer for it to be earlier in the day than later in the day. So that's why, um, I'm up at this ungodly time speaking to you guys. So, I want to be honest with you guys. When I first thought about writing a solo episode, I knew that it was important for me to frame why I'm doing the episodes this way and just really have goals behind each episode. I wanted it to be purposeful. I didn't want to just hop on the mic and yarn rubbish to you like you know always going to be joking around it's always it's always a fun time but I wanted to offer a very intimate listening experience like I'm talking to you this is not a conversation that D and I are having and you're listening in on this is a very active process of my thoughts my opinions and I want to bring you guys into my mental psyche. That's why I'm sitting here with a do-rag and a singlet on. I also wanted to be radically honest. I'm hoping that being on the mic solo, that it will make my lips a little bit more free-flowing, but that it also gives the opportunity for deep, slightly edited introspection i think that even with the episodes i do with d there is a certain aspect that you just won't get that you will get in these solo episodes so there's going to be um a more raw esther there's going to be a more abegir um solo version of esther and i want to say the quiet part out loud. Now, I'm not going to be unnecessary with the punches that I'm pulling, but I'm, I'm not going to hold back punches either. I think that what 
will make these episodes really great and a really fun, exciting, you know, ooh, ah, kind of episode is that I'm someone who, (laughs) I'll be saying the quiet part out loud amongst my intimate friend groups. I'll be the person to just say the thing that everybody's thinking that nobody's saying and admit some really hard truths. The hard part, the challenging part with doing that is that I'm doing it for myself. There is no, you know, topic. Well, you know, obviously there's a topic, but there's no one I'm coming for. I'm coming for myself. The goal with these episodes is to offer you a chance to be introspective with me get honest and real with yourself when it's just you sitting um whether that's in your quiet time if you're a christian in your journaling time in just the time that you're spending by yourself where there's no distractions called I beg I beg the podcast and now it's time for nobody asked me the part of the show where we put the fun in dysfunctional the bro in broken and give you opinions of things you didn't ask for so without further ado nobody asked me but if you have a big forehead be very careful who you have doing your eyebrows Anybody who has met me, anybody who's even seen a photo of me knows that I have a big forehead and I have very full bushy brows. This is very important because I am also a very sweary, a very sweaty somebody. I have a lot of sweat. A good chunk of it falls on my face, unfortunately. So my forehead, it's when it catches the sweat, is glistening a little extra, you know. The brows unattended can give caterpillar. But I believe that God knew what he was doing. I believe that if God, if I still had this personality, but I was looking a different kind of way, it would be, it would be a little bit too dysfunctional. No one would be able to talk to me anyhow. At least this way, God has humbled me small. So, the reason why I'm saying if you have a big forehead, you need to be very, very careful about who's doing your brows, is that in addition to the fat phobia, to eating disorders, to those pants that be showing your booty crack, and heroin chic as a style and fashion culture in general, the 90s also gifted us thin eyebrows now if you're a naturally thin eyebrowed person i'm not coming for you this is not an insult i'm be blessed (laughs) be blessed in your small eyebrows i'm straddled in between gen z and millennials and you gen z people you don't like to learn (laughs) you don't like to learn from the downfalls the pitfalls of other generations you've gone and taking back these rubbish habits but again if you're naturally thin eyebrow this is not coming for you you do what you can with what you have but if you have eyebrow and then you're starting to to wax and wax and remove 
so that you can have thin eyebrow and you are born after my year that's for you nobody has asked you to come and do even the people who became of age in that era are telling you please don't do but you have done for all of my forehead people who is not forehead but five that means that when i put my fingers on my forehead i need my thumb in addition to cover the entire perimeter mm -hmm. your brows are meant to offset the amount of space on your head the real estate on your face is plenty and all of my interior design girlies all of my interior design people know that with bigger spaces one must size their furniture accordingly so that means if you're not an interior girly if you're not an interior person let me explain if you have big furniture in a small space it can make your home how can i say this it'll make it look even smaller and even more crowded and if you have small furniture in a large space it'll look sparse i attribute this as someone who has a very expensive name brand wallet however there's no money to put inside so if you're a sweaty person and you have forehead it is there your brows will, your brows are there to catch the unwanted liquid that will inevitably stream down the concave dome that is your forehead it's very simple physics and mathematics say you work up a sweat and unfortunately you sweat on your face the sweat it does not just come out of your cheeks it's produced at the top the top of your head should you have a large forehead the speed at which each sweat droplet is rolling down your ski slope is accelerating faster than our small forehead counterparts and implementing the rule of inertia the amount of work needed to stop those droplets will also need to be much larger because the acceleration is faster uh -huh. we're following me we're all together if you have thin eyebrows but forehead thin eyebrows and forehead there are not enough hairs to slow down the sweat droplets as they roll and as a result they will speed past your brows and make their way into your eyes anybody who has had sweat enter their eyes understands this pain understands the agony of when this happens so my advice find somebody that is naturally very hairy when it comes to doing your brows is this insensitive probably if you stare at it hard enough if you have thin hair I don't trust the care and compassion you will have for my thick and coarse hair if you're naturally very hairy and at minimum came of age in the 90s you have had to reckon with your hairy self and possibly seek regular body hair removal maintenance so if you have thick hair or you're just very hairy in general you've you're not new to this you're true to this and it's very important to find somebody who's in your league that's not to say that somebody who does not have brow cannot do brow i am just saying that sha i am not going to be the person to find out because anybody who has gotten their brows done understands you have your brows messed up one time and now you're spending the next six possibly eight weeks maybe less 
if your brows grow faster than that. Just trying to come up with a good base so that somebody whose hand is correct can go back and fix the mistake. And your brows just shape your face. So if you don't like the way your brows are looking, it's a wrap. <laughs> it's over. So on that note, this has been Nobody Asked Me. Tune in next time to hear us or me spiral out over more things that are not our business nor our concern. But in this case, it was some it was some of my business. It was some of my concern. But pressing onward to the main topic of the day. Oh, this is so strange to be mentioning on the microphone. But a lot of the big tech companies, my place of employment in particular, have been laying off their employees from C-suite to maintenance staff. And it has made me ask myself the all-encompassing question. Do I gatekeep the knowledge I have? Or should I continue to invest in others and risk being on the chopping block myself? Let's add some context and then investigate. For context, I am aware of the bubble that I live in. I understand that I am entering, I entered the workforce at a time where software engineers and software engineering was just such a coveted position. So you're seeing people who are getting offered crazy, crazy high salaries uh, to do their jobs. And you're seeing it for people with like relatively lower experience levels to moderate experience levels. However, I will say that for the engineers that I have come across and seen, I feel like they have more than added value. The ones that are good, though, I don't, I'm not going to speak for the ones because we're, we're not about to get that spicy. But for the people who I've met who are really solid engineers, the amount that they are paid to do what they do is justified. The way that they are running out, you can't reach them at any all sorts of hours but back to me let's talk about me I understand that I only have a couple years of industry experience and that I am essentially a junior engineer so I get that my work in a very apocalyptic sense is very unimportant like my usefulness is tied to the internet and the world shed agreement that what I do matters for some reason, for now. The history of my job, as we now know it, is barely older than my parents. So, starting to get deeper in my craft, in my career, I recognize that if I had to pivot, if I just had to straight up do something else that was outside of this realm, given how advantageous it is to be in my field, advantageous it is to be in my field, any pivot would be like a crazy financial hit. So I am more than blessed to do what I get to do every day. I am blessed enough that people want to pay me what they do. I am very humbled and honored that people want to pay me for the value that I bring. And I recognize that this is only possible in our current workplace, our current corporate America market is not something that 
many years ago I would have been able to do at this rate of success. Another very interesting thing was that 2022 made me realize that I enjoy mentoring, I enjoy teaching, I enjoy building up other engineers. Two of my proudest achievements last year were my ability to teach a course on like the basics of data engineering to industry engineers. Like these are not small people. They just happen to not be in this particular field of engineering or want to grow their skill sets there. My other really proud achievement was getting to mentor a fresh out of college engineer and see her grow and see her become really good at what she does. And it's not like I don't feel like I am taking credit for any of the work she's done. I didn't do her work. I was not there. But being there to empower her, being there to set her up for success, I think that both of these skills prioritize giving knowledge away if you're doing it right. We all have that one useless, useless college professor that we still remember today that we could see and we could tell that they had all this knowledge, but for some reason, it felt like they were gatekeeping. It felt like they were keeping their knowledge for themselves and were only giving us the portions of knowledge that we could have found literally anywhere. I could have Googled and found the same information. Like I am paying to come here and learn what else? What can I learn in here that I can't learn anywhere else? And it felt like a lot of professors, a lot of teachers really took advantage of the fact that they were in this position, but didn't see it important enough to actually cultivate like critical thinking in their students in order to pass down knowledge, in order to pass down the keys. And so when I got into mentoring, when I got into teaching, I knew from jump that I wanted to if I'm doing this position right, give knowledge away, give away the secrets, because that's how we all grow and get better. So in order to be good at my job and get better at these skills, I needed people to no longer need me in certain ways. So with the classes I'm teaching, I'm teaching them immediate skills. What's a join? What's shuffling? How, what should be driving optimization? Tech people, shout out to you. You know, you know where you are. You guys know what those words are. The rest of you guys is not, it's not even worth explaining. Trust me. It's not, we let's not use our time unwisely. With mentoring, it was teaching them how to get skills that they don't have a lot of my one-on-one time with my mentee was research how do you look up things that you don't know because a wise person knows that there is always going to be something that you don't know you're never going to be omniscient in that sense like there's you're never going to reach a point where you should stop learning if anything you will only become more aware of the things that you don't know. And it was important when mentoring uh, my mentee, (laughs) mentoring my mentee, gosh. It was important when mentoring my mentee that she knew how to find things that she didn't know or she knew how to ask so that she could get herself in the right direction. Another thing was just reading. How do you find the needle in a haystack of information? There's so much information out there. God, sometimes you will just be scrolling through the internet looking for one specific answer and it will take you 30, 45 minutes, almost an hour to find the information that you're looking for. But the ability to be able to do that and know that what that answer is before you've even gone and found it is like a critical part of software engineering 
because I believe that so much is already out there. I believe that a good chunk of software engineering is knowing where to find the information you use, that knowing where to find the information that you need and then applying it correctly. And then the last thing is just practice. How do you constantly put yourself in situations where you are implementing your knowledge so that it sticks? Because with how frequently software engineering is changing and updating and and becoming newer and more streamlined, you have to find ways that you are practicing the knowledge that you're learning. Otherwise, it will just become... <laughs> another word another like sequence of words in the stream of consciousness that is the internet so it what made the layoffs happening hit so hard was that it often came down to who they can't afford to lose and who has that something special that just beats out every other person and this rocked me to my core it made me feel scared and unsafe in making it an important mission of mine to give my knowledge away I have set myself up such that I'm building an army of people who can do what I do, possibly even better. And it fostered this deep sense of doubt in my ability to offer value if I invest more time in this, if I choose to mentor, if I choose to teach, if I choose to make that a core part of who Esther is as an engineer, I could not have a job. I could have lost my job. Now, I don't want to make it seem like it's just like this huge scary thing. And I will want to note that um, I think, I God, this is why it's early in the morning. I'm not looking up any news sources again at this point. But um, most of the engineers who have lost their jobs are finding new jobs. So it's not the case that they're just sitting and they have horrible severance packages and they can't find work. They're finding work. What made me scared in recognizing how, what kind of mindset the higher ups had with layoffs and this, and this mindset of people who they couldn't afford to lose was that it stirred up an inclination towards selfishness and towards safeguarding. Can I balance being in, um, inexpendable while being a good steward of my resources? I'll say that again. Uh, can I balance being inexpendable while being a good steward of my resources? And if so, how? So naturally, because, you know, she's... She's a lover of Jesus. <laughs> and she has a lot of lovers of Jesus in her life. They're non-love non-Jesus lovers as well. But the lovers of Jesus, they they know how to, to get me. Um in times like these, like I what I want you guys to understand about me and like how I talk about my faith and why I talk about my faith is that I have no other moral compass or standard I hold myself up to other than God and his word, i.e. the Bible. No other moral compass. Nothing else makes me do the things that are considered good and societally acceptable other than the fact that I hold myself up to God's standard and to what his word, i.e. the Bible, has said. So, anyone who knows me well knows that I'm quite the narcissist in the sense that my favorite 
book of the Bible is the one that I'm named after, Esther. What I love about this book, (laughs) other than the fact that I've read it cover to cover numerous times over the course of my life, is that it's one of the few books that doesn't really mention God. God is, he's been, he's a seasoning that's been added to the stew. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's the onion that was added. Very important ingredient that should go in everything. Everything can use onion. Everything. I, I honestly, I don't know what can't use onion. That's, that's to tell you the truth. But uh, some people are wondering, what? First of all, how? Of course you. Of course you only like the book that's named after you. Yes. But to give you a quick synopsis, Esther is a young Jewish woman living in the Persian diaspora who finds favor with the king. She becomes queen and then risks her life to save the Jewish people from destruction. When the court official Haman persuades the king to authorize a pogrom, or simply put, an organized massacre. But I wanted to use pogrom because, you know, that's a that's a good word. I'm trying to step up my vocabulary because I'm getting on here and speaking to you guys. So, you know, we have to step up the way that we're speaking. So, Haman persuades the king to authorize a pogrom against all the Jews of the empire. In chapter 4 of this book, the issue for the pogrom is set... And we find Mordecai dealing with how to handle this news that's been born out of hatred and greed. Now, this, this, I'm going to read this chapter because you know me, um, I love reading the word of God. (laughs) Why did I, why did I just feel God be like, oh, whoa, oh, so you like to read it. I like, okay, when I do, I'm, cause I'm trying to be better. I think I obviously, I could always be better with how much I read my Bible. But when I do read my Bible, when I really get into it, it, it changes my life. It, it makes me just feel very fresh. And so that's what we're going to do. So this chapter is titled, Esther agrees to help the Jews. When Mordecai learned that all had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. Sackcloth, side note, is just very itchy material. It's like, you know, those like burlap sacks kind of exactly. It's just very like rough, itchy material. It's not supposed to be comfortable and it's often worn in uh, times of deep despair and grief. Right. Back in the word. I'm reading verse three. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend to her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, pause guys, all this, all this, um, 
hip hopping, all speaking through her the gosh is 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 tiring. <laughs> Ugh. I get why Esther can't go down and it's already been explained why Mordecai can't go up, but the back and forth is much. Then Esther spoke to Hathak. I'm sorry, I'm in verse 10, guys. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to, into the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish... I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I just felt like I needed to add that last part. Just the Bible was really Bibling. I read this passage because in times of uncertainty, there is no comfort that the physical world can offer me because everything on this earth is marred by injustice and fear and greed and hate it's one of the reasons i cling to god especially when faced with my own sin i have found that i need to put my faith in something bigger than myself something that is not tied to this earth because i've been given every reason to doubt the security that living the way I do seemingly supplies. When I read this word, I am, not myself, not me comparing myself to a queen. I feel where Esther is. I get what it's like to be at a point where, I mean, obviously I've not lost my job. I'm still at my current place of employment. But I feel the weight in asking myself the underlying, the all-encompassing question, do I gatekeep the knowledge I have or should I continue to invest in others and risk being on the chopping block myself? I feel the push and pull going on in her mind as she is about to stand before the king and possibly die by not doing so. I see how not gatekeeping knowledge, I see how giving knowledge away and wanting to play a small role in building up more engineers, smarter, more impactful engineers that I may set myself up as someone who doesn't have the keys. By giving the keys away, I end up with no keys. And when that time comes, when they're looking for who to keep and who to lay off, that my name may be on the layoff list and it makes me ask myself whether it's worth it to still push forward but reading this chapter 
reminds me that one, I'm a Christian, and two, that God has rules and standards that come with following him. And a big one is to be a good steward of our talents and paying our blessings forward, or else he'll give them to somebody who will. Now, thankfully, we don't see that happen in the book of Esther. But that, uh, I don't want to get too much into this, but that's essentially, I think, I can't remember which episode we talk about this, but we mentioned this in a previous episode where that is what ends up becoming the fall of Saul and the rise of King David, is that they wanted to hoard. They wanted to keep all of God's blessings for themselves and not give it away. And as a result, they lost everything. And God gave it to somebody who would use those gifts, those talents better. Another really hard truth that has come with these layoffs and with reading this chapter is that God doesn't promise me a life separate from suffering. That, in fact, time and again, he guarantees it. But, ultimately, the choice is ours. And that's scary. Because God is not forcing me to do the right thing, do the wrong thing. Like, he's given us free will and he's saying like this is the standard that I hold my people up to but ultimately the choice and any resulting consequences that come from that are yours and when I when I look at my career When I look at the kind of follower of Jesus I want to be, it's really no choice at all. Um, The question's already been answered. I radically choose to give and risk my job under the assurance that God will provide for me regardless. That if I am serving him, that if I'm intentional about doing what I must in order to be a light for him here at my work, at my job, if I'm serious about that, then I really have nothing to worry about that even the fear of potentially losing my job in pursuit of becoming a better mentor and a better teacher I'm it's still worth it and it was worth it even before I brought the Bible into it. The Bible was merely a confirmation that it is worth it. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book of Esther. She ends up saving her people. um, And becomes even more esteemed than she already is. I have to radically choose to give away and put myself on the chopping block because unlike the TikTok girlies, my my goal with picking up this career, my goal with pursuing this field was not simply monetary. If my goal was to keep my job and make as much money as I can, then I would be doing exactly what they're doing. I would learn a bunch of skills, hide documentation, make sure that nobody else knows what I know. And so when names were being put on the chopping block, mine would have to be removed because 
I have not given this information to anybody and they have to make sure I at least pass down some before they fire me or else there's just going to be this whole system they don't know nor do they understand. But that just seems that it doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem right. And it's just not who I'm called to be. And it's it's not it's not enough. There's not enough money for me to gatekeep. There is not a job that is so special that I am willing to compromise the kind of engineer and the kind of woman of God I want to be and that God is shaping me to be that is worth keeping everything for myself. I have to give it out. Not just because there are blessings and all of that and that God will be there should anything happen. But it gives me purpose. In a world where I am very much just sitting at my desk, sometimes at home, sometimes at the office all day, things can start to lose meaning. I can start to lose purpose and doing this makes my job have color. It makes my job not seem so in gray. It makes me happy and ready to prepare and ready to step forward and out and give my all is because I'm doing so Because in doing so, I am not just bettering my own life, but I'm bettering others' lives. So I guess the the question of how I'm going to be a better person today is, is already answered. I'm radically giving more of myself. And I am prayerful (laughs) I am staying prayed up because even as I've made the decision I'm still a little bit worried but I am praying for that voice of worry and doubt to be drowned out with God's promises because I do believe them to be yes and amen it's it's a non-starter you know (laughs) I I get that this might be bad advice for some people. I get that this might not be the best advice if you are someone who was impacted and that a huge reason why you were impacted by these layoffs was because you had been bold enough to think past yourself, to think longer term. And unfortunately, I don't really have, like, a next step or an encouragement other than to just keep going. I I believe because God hasn't filled me yet. I believe because I choose to believe. I believe sometimes because I have to believe that... What I do, the role I play on this earth is worth more than these small transactional incidents. There is something bigger. There is a bigger role that is played. There is a chess move that is happening every time I step out in faith and take slash give bad advice. But if you liked this episode, if you liked, you know, a calmer, more introspective Esther, if you liked, if you like just what we are doing here at Abeg this season, like if you like us, support us, follow us on Instagram. You can find us at A-B-E-G-V. You can never forget the V. P-O-D. 
follow us on social media. We are there. If you listen to us on Spotify, make sure that you hit that follow button so that as we're dropping the episodes, you are the first to be notified. They'll let you know, hey, you there, I beg. They've just blessed you small, small. They've dropped another episode. If you're... Oh, also if you're on Spotify, make sure to rate us. Now, my co-host says you are not allowed to give below five. I would like a five. However, if you really feel like these guys is not giving five, there's room for improvement, for serious improvement, emphasis on the serious, then, you know, rate it as you see fit. But I am challenging you, write us on Instagram or if you're on Apple Podcasts, write a review. Let us know why we have been rated lower than five because if your reason is rubbish, let's just say your girl is trying to become like Jesus but she's not there yet. She's on her way but she's not arrived. So be very careful in your reasoning. If your reasoning is sound, then you've blessed us still. You've shown us these are the ways we can improve. So Spotify, Apple Music, make sure to rate and review us. Obviously, remember not to swear if you're on Apple Music. If you swear, even if it's a positive swearing, then it can't be included. So make sure that even if you're abusing us, that you don't swear. And if you're praising us, that you don't swear. Rate us, review us, all of that thing, man. But it's been a pleasure to get on this mic and to talk with y'all. Just, you know, just a a heart-to-heart, a you and I, a U-N-I-T-Y. All right. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) I need to get off. (laughs) I need to get off this mic. Oh, oh, man. Hey, I will catch you guys later. Stay, stay blessed and unstressed and very hydrated. Bye.